This is The Guardian. I'm Grace Dent and this is Comfort Eating from The Guardian. A podcast where we pay homage to the lesser celebrated foods in life. Because even as a restaurant critic, I believe the food that matters most is often that snack you cobble together when you're curled up on the sofa. Each week, I ask my guest to lift the lid on what comfort foods have seen them through their lives. Because you can tell a lot about a person from what they eat behind closed doors. Hello, friends. Welcome to my kitchen. The tea's brewing. The neighbours next door have stopped drilling. I am ready to receive this week's guest. He's a world-renowned potter, much-loved TV judge, and an absolutely massive crybaby. Yes, it's Keith Brymart-Jones who is on his way over. I'm in a bit of a rush. Only got time for a couple of spoons of peanut butter. You can never just have two spoons, though. Best known as an expert judge on Channel 4's Great Pottery Throwdown, Keith's been mastering his craft at the pottery wheel since the 1970s. You've probably, at some point, drunk a cup of tea from one of his mugs. But I've heard that he was once a champion Highland dancer and frontman of 80s punk band The Wigs. He's a man of many hidden talents. I can't wait to dig into them all and to find out what he fuels up on to keep his potting energies up. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Keith, Brimer Jones. Welcome to Comfort Eating. Well, it's a pleasure. It's very strange having you in front of me. (laughs) One thing I know for sure about you is that things that people have made, pieces of pottery, they make you emotional and you're interested in what makes people like me emotional about them. I am, yes. Yeah, yeah. So I thought today I'd bring you a piece. Steady. A piece of... (laughs) ceramics that makes me emotional oh okay and i'm going to present it to you okay now i didn't make this i shoplifted it right well done in 19 you're on a winner already (laughs) 
1986, I used to go to a cafe and uh, drink hot chocolate when I was a teenage goth. Okay. And it used to come in these... I'm going to wow. pass it to you. Yeah. And I loved the mug so much. That you nicked one. I, oh, I, I nicked a few. Oh, Actually, okay. I'm going to be really honest. Right. It's got hot chocolate mug written. It has. In a beautiful font. <laughs> a font. Yeah. Uh, well done. Okay. You've got my mug in your hands and you're a celebrated TV judge. Can you give us a little critique? Actually, it's quite a nice mug. In ter- Well, the mug's a bit of a dog. But but the actual decoration is quite interesting because it's iron oxide and they would have done a stencil for this. So that yeah. would have had to have been done by hand. So, yeah, it's actually quite awful as a mug. But, you know, obviously <laughs> well, it has can... quite a lot of sentimental value. Look, so far you've called my mug a dog and quite awful. Now, it's... Isn't it fascinating, though? Everyone has a favourite mug yeah. and there's always a story behind it. And that's the thing that fascinates me. This is where I find out what my guest likes to eat behind closed doors. Mm. What is Keith Brimer Jones, internationally renowned potter and TV judge? What is he choosing for his snack? We've got it in front of us. Yeah. Do you want? Do you want to? Shall I do uh, the big reveal? Yeah. Unveil the snack, please. Unveil the snack. Unveil the snack. There you go. (laughs) Now, (laughs) what we have here is a peanut butter and cheese sandwich. Okay, it's very pale. Really, it's brilliant. Is isn't that it? toasted? No, no. Okay. Toasted? That would no. be like cooking in that. It's kind of left a skid mark where the peanut butter has escaped out of the sandwich. Yeah. And I thought <laughs> I thought it was toasted. No, no, it's not toasted. No. So hang on. It is quite it is quite claggy. Mm. But it's the cheese and the peanut butter. And the best bread is the cheapest possible bread. Mm-hmm. The stuff that you pinch together and it just doesn't rise up again. Mm. Look at the finger imprints. Oh. This stuff, it'll, it'll last for about seven weeks. Oh, no, it's brilliant. Uh, and the cheese, I noticed that you've got a sliced cheese. Are these? Che- is this a cheese out of a packet? With- it's Emmental, though, darling. Mm. But, uh, but, yeah. Oh, my God, that's so delicious. It's though. good, isn't it? Do you like it? I Really? I... I bet you say that to all the sandwiches. I, I, I've never met a beige, claggy carb mm. concoction that I haven't loved. When would you eat that, though? Give me an example. Oh, in the mornings, in the afternoons. It's my sort of go-to sandwich just to give me a bit of a hit. You've got all the sugar in there, the sweetness of the peanut butter, the kind of savoury of the cheese. Yeah, it's brilliant. Can you eat it when you're at the wheel? You can, really. Because yeah. it all stays together. Yeah. There's nothing falling out of that. It's never going to go anywhere, is it? <laughs> Keith, you were born in 1965. Yeah. And grew up in Woodside Park in North London with your mum, Keris. Yeah. Dad, Roy. Yeah. And older sister, Sarah. Yeah. What's it like growing up in the suburbs in the 60s, well, going into the 70s? Yeah, I mean, it was wonderful. Finchley was a very sort of typical yeah. suburb. Yeah. One of those kind of places where you go out on your bike at sort of 10 in the morning and you don't come back till five in the afternoon when, yeah. when mum calls you in for tea. So it was fairly idyllic, really. So you've got your mum and your dad and then you've got your dad's parents, Ma and Pa. Ma and Pa. Round yeah. the corner. Yeah. It's quite an extended 
Brady Bunch. Yeah, yeah, it was really. Pa was really kind of staunch, old Welsh Presbyterian, quite strict. I used to go to watch the football with him to watch the father play. And he'd sit on the touchline with his, you know, one of those old shooting sticks that mm. folds out with a chair on it, you know. And and Ricky, the corgi, always by his side. But yeah. he could make a noise on the touchline of the football pitch and he'd just go... Yeah. When the boys hadn't played well and they all used to cower with fear because yes. of, yeah, he he just had one of those kind of presents about him just had that. and he really didn't like me dancing at the time. Yeah. Well, this is it. You were yeah. dancing. Yeah. You were, you'd kind of gone into your Billy Elliot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At that point. Yeah. How did you get into dancing? I started dancing at the age of three. My mother had done dancing, I think at a very early age for herself so she got my sister into dancing. And I think basically it was just a question of crowd control. I did it all really, yeah. Ballet, tap, Highland, Scottish country dancing and modern, whatever the bloody hell that was. And that was it. I never knew anything different and didn't give up until I was 18. Did you perform on stage? Did you do those? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there were dance routines to learn mm-hmm. throughout the year for the, for the big finale, the big show. And that was my first kind of introduction into performing, really. You're living with your mum and your dad. Tell me a little bit about them. So my mother was a a very stay-at-home mother, Mm. but she trained as a domestic cookery teacher back in the day, but then sort of gave all that up, loved cooking, was a very, very good cook. And the father was a disgruntled 70s nightmare kind of businessman. Couldn't stand it. Hated it. He he was very, very good um, at sport mm. back in the day. But of course, you know, being a sportsman back in those days, it didn't really earn you the money. Coming from a really traditional Welsh sort of Presbyterian family, was told to get a proper job, which he then did. And then um, he was cross about it. Couldn't stand it. Hated his whole kind of professional career as a bank manager and a, 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 a building society area manager, then a, an estate agent, couldn't stand it. And actually, I often say to people, it, it was the only, well, the only bit of advice he ever gave me. And that was to do a job that you really enjoy because you'll be doing it for 85% of your life. Feels like you were treading on eggshells around that though. If you, even as a little boy, were really aware that he was annoyed about his life yeah 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 because yeah on a Sunday morning he was always in a bad mood always remember that always in a bad mood always Mm. avoided him on a Sunday morning he was angry by Sunday morning about Monday yeah 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 and then so all of Sunday was just taken up with being annoyed (laughs) about his life you say your mum was a cookery teacher yeah so I'm guessing she's got to have been a dab hand in the kitchen you think back to childhood, what is cooking on the hob? Oh, God. Right. Okay. So Fridays was her big cooking day for cakes. And yeah. she cooked these amazing, wonderful cakes. And the whole house just filled up with the smell of cake. It was amazing. And she'd be prolific. She'd be like cooking 15 to 30 cakes. Classic round cakes, you know, Victoria sponges, Victoria sponge. immaculately finished off, icing, piping, the whole thing. They they were tremendous, absolutely tremendous. So always Victoria sponge, like lemon drizzle? No, lemon, no, lemon drizzle, Black Forest Gatto cakes. Oh, the whole thing. Then there'd be cream horns, chocolate eclairs, 
profiter roles. Oh, she did it all. It was amazing. Absolutely incredible. And then does she sell them or take them to Women's Institute? Or what no, she, we you kind just of eat just them? ate them. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so the father on a Saturday would sometimes come home with some of the lads from football and uh, she would do this high tea on a t- similar table to this one, yes. maybe a bit bigger than this. And it, it would have sandwiches, you know, with the crust cut off. And I remember some of the boys from the football club they're all sort of late uh, late teens or early 20s. Mm. They'd never seen anything like it. It was just amazing. Just this huge, massive high tea spread. I don't think there's a happier sight than no, a no, table no. grown in with that yeah. type of yeah, food. Yeah. Both your mum and your dad are Welsh and you spent most of your holidays in Wales. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Tell me about those trips. They were amazing. So this is back in the day when you would get the overnight train from Paddington. Yeah. Motor rail, that was it. And you drive the car on at Paddington Station. And then for some unforeseen reason, it used to take you all night to get to Wales. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's mine. But yeah, you used to get shunted at Fishguard. Yeah, because obviously you get shunted at Carlisle yeah, if you go I've north. I've been shunted at Carlisle. Oh, I'm sure you have. Sure, you have love. I've yeah. got to tell that joke though. I had to. You can't. You can't let shunted go past. I'm sorry. Don't worry. My editor saved me from me all the time. Um, what was Welsh food like then? Oh, pretty, pretty bad. Pretty mm. basic. Yeah, mm. the seventies. But I mean, it was self catering holidays, so yeah. my mother would cook, and we she'd do these amazing picnics. We'd go on the beach and, you know, other families would just look at what we'd got. It was like a high tea on a beach. Honestly, it was just amazing. She used to make about 300 Welsh cakes for the duration of the holiday, two weeks. Right. What I need you to do now is explain to listeners that have never had a Welsh cake. Where do they sit on the Venn diagram of scone, drop scone, Scotch pancake. Yeah, yeah. To my mind, there's a lot of different things going yeah. together into a Welsh cake. Yeah. How do you explain it? They Well, it's, it's the Welsh scone, really. It's kind of a, a crumbly, almost pastry, but not quite, with raisins in it. And then squashed, though. And squashed, yeah, that's it. And then you turn up yeah. in Wales with 300 of them. Yeah. What do you... I mean, that's quite samey. That quite feels like the same. Well, it's fit. not the only thing we ate. Okay. They were just for snacks. <laughs> what did you put on the on the Welsh cakes? Lots of butter, cheese, jam, anything you could put anything on them. That was brilliant. Yeah, they were great things to sort of just have as as a little staple snack. Yeah, yeah. Up until now, you've been describing your dad, and I love how you call him the father. The father. The father. Yeah. What was your dad like? When he was on holiday. No. Oh. <laughs> no. He was a different bloke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's all right. I cry all the time. It's but no, he was. He was a real. He was. He was a different bloke. Yeah. He <laughs> was like he was released from that pain of yeah, having yeah, to absolutely. go to work. Yeah. No, it was. It was. It was the only time when. He really enjoyed, yeah, he would, he would drag us across the beaches. 
Sounds like a therapy session. <laughs> I know. But no, he'd drag us across the beaches on, on you know, big towels and stuff. And he'd often, yeah. I mean, he was, he was great on... He was, uh, he was great, yeah, different bloke, yeah. But we kind of knew that anyway. We kind of knew that, yeah. And he... T- <laughs> Again, the health and safety back in the 70s. But he'd take us out on massive swimming trips. We'd like... My sister and I, at sort of the age of maybe eight or nine, we'd be swimming way out you know, half a mile, a mile out to sea. And um, because there'd be a rock that we, come on, let's go, let's swim around that rock mm. and come back. And it was, it was brilliant. Yeah, it was yeah. it was wonderful. I am <laughs> so jealous of your ability to just <laughs> cry because it looks so freeing. Yeah, I am literally can't, don't give a toss, really. <laughs> have, you, about- have you always been like that though no 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 I mean I remember being in the band in the 80s Mm. yeah it was a bit of a tosser really (laughs) hang on a minute put a pin in that we're going to talk about that (laughs) being a tosser in the band the tosser years yeah when you were 11 you started at St Mary's Church of England High School in Hendon North London it's always a very big moment we're picturing the 11 year old Keith trussed up in his uniform how easy do you find big school? How easy do you find it? No, to- it was hard. It was it was hard. Um, you know, coming from a v- very sort of typical, you know, villagey kind of primary school to then mm. going to big school. Mm. Obviously, coupled with the fact that I did dancing, which I knew at that kind of age wasn't a thing to sort of shout about. Maybe at big school, boys dancing, and the fact that you know, at the age of eleven, I saw my first dead body which was my grandfather die. Mm. He had a heart attack and he fell down the stairs at their family home, at Ma and Pa's home. And um, and I could tell he was dead. And I think he must have had a huge heart attack at the top of the stairs, fell down the stairs, and there he was, as white as a sheet. I remember I ran out into the road, I think. Because uh, yes. it was just such a shock. But coming back to the starting mm. secondary school... Mm. That's when I sort of realised, yeah, there was a lot going on for me mm. when I first started secondary yeah. school. And I was a skinny little thing then. And yeah, I was quite severely bullied at school. So you get yeah. you get to school and your granddad's died. Did anybody try and give you any counselling or no. anything exactly? It's the 70s. <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh. <laughs> Off you go. No, no, that's right. So, so then you get there and... And you're bullied. Yeah, I was bullied for the first kind of three years of mm. school. Um, but that's kind of typical bullying where, you know, you hold, you even carry the books around for the bully, you know, and on all that kind of thing. To the point where I remember um, it was the third year and it was technical drawing class. Um, I just had enough. And uh, I remember when he asked me for, for his books, I strangled him. Good for you. Yeah. Sorry. No, I just strangled him. And uh, For the purposes of Guardian readers, I'm not condoning <laughs> strangling people that yeah. you really know by. To the point where he kind of went blue. Yeah. And kind of, and the, the, the teacher came rushing over and pulled me off and this, that, the other. And I remember, typical 70, I had to go and see a nice woman <laughs> for about three months in the medical room to talk about my dreams. <laughs> It's that thing that we all, we're all animals. And it's like, you know, all of a sudden I just had enough and I launched at him and he was twice the size of me, but he realized that I was 
maybe a bit unhinged and left me alone. So it was great. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Grace Dent here. One more thing. If you love comfort eating, then you'll love my new book, Comfort Eating, What We Eat When No One's Looking. It's available order now. There's an e-book and an audiobook if you want me to read it to you, with chapter headings like Why Butter Makes Everything Better and Why Potatoes Are Proof of a Higher Power, How Can You Resist? Comfort Eating is packed with funny, moving stories about my family and my childhood, as well as recipes and stories about recording the show. School was also where you first discovered pottery. Was it a magic love at first sight moment? It was absolutely oh. like that. Absolutely like that. I had a wonderful teacher called Mr. Mortman and um, he was his campus Christmas mm. and uh, he used to even pout when he used to do the, the yeah. register. It was brilliant. But we came into the pottery class one morning and on everyone's workbench was this lump of clay. And the moment I touched the clay, I knew that this substance was going to be in my life for the rest of it. And looking back on it now, it's kind of blindingly obvious why I liked it, because I'm dyslexic. Mm. And for a dyslexic person, clay is probably the best kind of material that you can use. It's incredibly malleable. I don't know whether many people know this, but if you're a dyslexic, you have a much better affinity to shape, form and volume. Yes. Well, clay gives you all those things. And the moment I touched the clay, I knew that I would be able to manipulate this substance into my imagination. And it was wonderful. It feels like at this point in your life, lots of other things are kind of out of control. Yeah. So there's, you know, your dad and what's happened with your granddad and... Yeah. Strangling folk. (laughs) And then you've got this thing. Yeah. Yeah. You're in control. Yeah. No, absolutely that. So you fall in love with clay. Yeah. From that moment, you spent all your lunch times either in the art room or talking to a therapist. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When do you find time to have school lunch? What do you you eat? Well, I used to, uh, towards the end, I was just having a packed lunch. I'd have a packed lunch and I'd take it to the art room to the point where. What's in the packed lunch? Beef crisps. 
Bloody great. God knows what was in them. Nothing <laughs> natural. I don't know what they were called now. The yeah, beef. They're like frazzles, but they were oh. sort of they were they were way before frazzles. Yeah. Yeah. They were fifteen P a pack. But um a few times in the lunch hour, and I obviously got to know Mr. Mortman really well, and he'd be in there pottering about doing whatever. But he'd say the immortal lines, and you'd never get this now, but this is the eighties early 80s he'd say now listen Keith I'm just going to go we couldn't put this in the book I don't think I'm just going to go to the staff room to get my lunch now when you fix that kiln make sure you've switched it off and it was like I'd be about 13 years old and I'd fix the kilns in the in the art class yeah change the elements and stuff yeah mad in 1982 yeah when you were still at school you joined punk band the wigs as lead singer when did you realise you wanted to be a rock star, Keith? I didn't. I didn't realise. Um, it was uh, basically, I, I met a wonderful guy called Mick James, who I still uh, friendly with now. Uh, he's my oldest friend. And I met him at Tesco's, as you do. You know, we all had them, weekend jobs. Yeah. And I remember him piping up to me once in the canteen and said, Oi, do you think you can sing in a band? And I, of course, I just said yes, because I say yes to everything. And so we had a band practice and I became the lead singer of the Wigs. Yeah. Are we talking? Post-punk. Right, post-punk. I was a bit too young for punk-punk. So post-punk. Similar to, obviously similar to nobody, but similar to who? Who were you influenced by post-punk? You know, Iggy Pop, Mm. the Buzzcocks, stuff like that, really. What I'm fascinated by is you're literally standing in Tesco's and someone says, Basically, do you fancy being a rock star? And you yeah. go, yes. And lots of people join bands, but you stayed in a band. Yeah. What is it about being a rock star for you? I'm going to break it down. Is it fame? Did you want fame? No, I think I think at the time it was just a, and I know this sounds a bit tosser, but I think it was just um, another way of expressing yourself as a young person. And it, and it was, it, it really was. And we'd do these gigs and, we, you know, you'd be able to go mental on stage. And, but for me, it was always a, a feeling of entertaining. You always had to entertain the crowd. You always had to take the crowd with you. Otherwise, it was just navel gazing and, you know, just ego nightmare. And I'm not into that. But it has to be about the women as well, because surely everything changes the moment you become a lead singer. Was it that? All right, I'll tell you a story. Right, because there's very little (laughs) sex and drugs in your rock and roll stories that I've read so far. Okay, so when we used to do gigs and we, you know, over time, we were the ugliest band going. We were pretty goddamn ugly, really. But I mean, obviously, we're in a band, so it doesn't really matter. And and I used to have women come up to me, no word of a lie, Mm -hmm. and they'd say... Oh, you're the lead singer of the Wigs, aren't you? And I'd say, yeah. Can I sleep with you? Oh my god! Literally, and then yeah. and so and so, yeah. <clears throat> and it got so boring. Yeah. That you'd start saying things like, "Well, actually, I've got a girlfriend," and they go, "So," and then and then you'd up the yeah. ante and you'd say, "Well, actually, I'm married," and they go, "So," and so yeah. at one point, I made a pact with our guitarist Mungo to say that we were gay. Yeah. And we just said, "Well, actually, I'm gay," and that was the only thing that would stop them. Is it all boozing and being in bands and playing music or do you actually eat at all during this period? I used to have this ritual before I went on stage. A pint of milk, a packet of chips and a pint of lager. Yeah. 
that would be my thing before I went on stage for the voice. Well, that's what I used to say. That's what I used to do. Just, just to like uh, yeah. wrap chips in paper, newspaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Salt and vinegar. Chips, salt yeah, vinegar. Yeah, yeah. The grease lines your lines your throat for singing. And uh, apparently, according to Marge, Marge, my partner, is an incredible singer. She says it's probably the worst thing you could probably do. But but back in the day, that's what I used to do. But the whiskey was always on the go. Pint of full fat milk, packet of chips. Yeah, yeah. And then and a pint uh, of lager. What kind of whiskey are we talking? Do you have a specific whiskey, or is it like White Horse or something like that? No, it's nothing. It's nothing cliched like Jack Daniels or anything. It would be actually it would probably be Bushmills. But there came a point when. I think it was about 21, obviously still in the band. And I was, I'd been over in Notting Hill, staying the night in Notting Hill somewhere. God knows who with and why. Um, and I remember my mother and father saying, oh, why don't you come on holiday with us? Last family holiday, yeah. you know, this, that and the other. And I got in the car and I drove back to Finchley from Notting Hill, not that far, jumped in the shower, turned the shower on, could see the water coming out of the shower, but couldn't feel anything on my skin. And I thought, that's a bit weird. My whole body was completely numb because I was probably still pissed from the night before. And that actually really scared me. The fact that I, <laughs> the fact that I felt like I was operating normally when I obviously wasn't, you know, I was still under the influence of alcohol. And that put me off drink for quite a while, actually. And I don't have a problem with drink. But yeah, it just, it just became the norm. After a few years of experimenting and practicing in the art room, yeah, in 1984, you place an ad in the paper, yes, offering your services as a pottery apprentice, and amazingly, you land yourself an apprenticeship at Harefield Pottery, yeah, in Watford. Placing an ad in the paper, selling your frankly untested pottery services, yeah, it sounds like a very unusual approach. It worked, but. What does this tell us about the teenage case? Yeah. Young, enthusiastic 18-year-old seeks apprenticeship called 01346-3098. That was our number in Finchley. And I literally, from the age of 11, at first year of secondary school, I was going to be a potter, no matter what mm. happened. I, that, I that literally... And people often say, oh, it's... It, God, it's amazing how well-focused you were and, you know, that you knew that you... The only bloody thing I could do. So I just knew that I had to make it work. I knew I had to make it work. It's a wonderful feeling being able to do something that you really love in life. Well, you all know this and get paid for it. It's brilliant. Yeah. And I can make a living out of it. What was that first job like? I mean, it was like working on a building site. It was, yeah, really, really tough. My my bosses, Alan Pett and Robert Hudson, could have been plumbers, could have been electricians just happened to be potters. Mm. And it was that kind of unpretentious way of looking at the profession, of the craft, if you like, that really resonated with me. So having that kind of grounding at Harefield as a mere clay boy, shoveling the clay, sweeping the floor, making the tea, was was a real good antidote to that. And I knew at an early age that I needed to, to learn from the bottom up. It almost feels though that you found the almost the perfect place to go because the, yeah. they weren't airy, fairy, arty They weren't people. at all, no. And you're this lad in a punk band. Yeah. And 
you go to somewhere where it is all a bit sweary and a bit yeah. shouty yeah. and unforgiving sometimes. Very much so. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, I once, I've still got the scars on my, on my wrists where I once complained I didn't get a lunch hour uh, at the pottery and they hung me up on a beam with handcuffs. Now, who has fucking handcuffs in a pottery, for God's sake? No. But they did. Wrongans. And they hung me up on, on, the, on a beam for an hour and said, you won't ask for a lunch hour again. Oh, my God. And I didn't. <laughs> yeah, it just, so it was quite, it's a school of hard knocks, but oh it was, God. yeah, it was great. It was a good laugh. I mean, you didn't, I mean, obviously, you were punished quite harshly for asking for a lunch hour, but did you eat at all at the pottery? The, then I, I ate a lot, yeah. I was eating probably two lunches a day, Mars bars were my thing. At least five or six Mars bars a day. Why Mars bars? Just to keep the energy up. Is just to keep because the of the marketing campaign during the eighties. A Mars a day helps you work, rest, and play. They were marketed like a health food. They were, they? yeah, yeah, yeah. You bought into that. I kind of did, yeah. Now get this. So we were the pottery was by the side of a canal where no one can hear you scream, but it was by the side of a canal. And we had a wood-burning stove in the pottery. And Robert used to cook up these fried potatoes on the stove. And he used to grow his own potatoes. And believe you me, he used to grow different kinds of potato. And you could taste the difference. Mm. It was amazing. He's taking fresh potatoes and then just take the soil off them and then frying them in a little stove. On a little (sighs) pan, yeah. Yeah, with loads of butter. What do you eat them with? Well... Sometimes in between bread, like just have a potato sandwich. Yeah, but honestly, yeah. back in the day, I would I'd literally eat anything because it was it was real physical work. So anything I could eat, I'd shove in my gob. Yeah, the hard work pays off. And after Harefield announced that they're going to move the pottery to Scotland, you decide it's time to go solo. Yeah, you open up your own studio, Highgate Pottery, yeah. in 1989. What's it like going out on your own? Um, uh, Well, they say ignorance is bliss, and it kind of was at the time. I mean, fortunately, I didn't really know what I was getting myself in for. Mm. And yeah, so I started this pottery, but then would do other jobs to to sort of finance the pottery and to, to help me sort of move along. But then over time, on average, I'd make anything between six to 900 mugs a day on the wheel. Yeah. I can't imagine how strenuous that is. I mean, yeah. It's not a delicate thing. I think that people misunderstand. They do. I think they think it's just gentle that's, and it isn't. It's pressing and pushing and it's very hard. And, it yeah, is quite I, physical, I, yeah. How long are these days though? I mean, so, yeah, I'd get to the studio around about half five in the morning and sometimes I wouldn't leave until seven, eight at night. And some days I I used to work all the way through. I was kind of a workaholic by this time. But work out of necessity. Back in the day, my therapist once said to me, what gets you up in the morning? And I said, anxiety, <laughs> without a doubt. Yeah. And you just have to get up and you'd have to make all these pots because that was your living. So that's what I used to do. And um, But what are you, this is deep, what are you actually running from? When you're trying the, to, when you're trying, and I ask myself this, yeah, because I'm a workaholic, yeah, because I, I for a long time I thought that somebody was going to knock on the door and say, 
right, it's time to get out of this house, you know? Like, it's almost like... Well, there you go. You yeah. said it. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> the fear. time to go back to Carlisle now. Yeah, yeah. Or, it's, the, it's, you... the fear, it's the fear of not having enough. That's still a bit of a fear now. But do you not think that that's the, that's the outer part of the onion? And a few layers down, we're actually medicating something else through the absolute joy of work, though. It's a buzz, isn't it? It's oh, a thrill. That moment yeah. when the email arrives asking you for 6,000 mugs. Yeah. There isn't any feeling like that. No, 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 absolutely. And I, I remember I'd, I'd be in the studio in Highgate and I'll have worked a 16-hour day mm. and I'd sit down and I'd, I'd have my fifth Mars bar or whatever <laughs> and a cup of tea and this wave of euphoria would come over you mm. and it would be just completely overwhelming. And you'd feel all this excitement and, and, and you'd get a second wind. And you'd just then start working for another seven hours. Yeah. And there were many times in the studio at Highgate, it was in a small yard and there was carpenters either side and furniture restorers and all this kind of thing. And they'd come in in the morning and maybe at seven or eight in the morning and they'd kind of have a joke with me and say, oh, have you been here all night? Mm-hmm. And I'd go, yeah, I have. And I'd yeah. work throughout the night. But did you eat? Uh, not, not healthily. No, just whatever what's, I could get in the corner snack? shop. What's a midnight snack? What's a three o'clock in the morning? I have already done 547 cups. Yeah. Couscous, taramasalata and pita bread. <laughs> That's what I used to do. Right. Yeah. That are would we, be it. Are we talking about? Yeah. The plastic cartons of pre-made couscous uh, or are we talking about the sachets of Ainsley Harriet couscous? Uh, no, not the latter. Okay. No, definitely the pre-plastic jobs. Then you dip the taramasalata in first, then Fishy. dip it in the couscous because it then sticks to the taramasalata. I mean, you know, this is me chefing now. And then shove it in your, <laughs> shove it in your gob. <laughs> it's a beautiful image to think of. It's good, isn't it? You're just it? sitting there, you're covered in clay and yeah. now you're taramasalata. yeah. You have a lot of success at Highgate Pottery and in 2003 you launch the Word Range, your signature collection. Cut to 2013, you're now mass producing your designs with your business partner, Dominic Spielman. Yeah. To promote the business, you posted a video of you moulding clay at a pottery wheel dressed as Adele. You're singing Rolling in the Deep. Yeah. With new pottery-based lyrics. Now, the rumour has it that your then wife saw it and actually just cried. Yeah, she did. Yeah. Uh, She thought it was the worst thing I could possibly do. She thought you'd ruined your career. Oh, the irony. So, an executive from Love Productions, the company behind the TV hit The Great British Bake Off, they see you dressed as Adele and they think... I'm going to make him a star. I don't know if they speak like that, but... (laughs) That'll do. So in 2014, you sign on to judge a brand new TV pottery competition. It is called The Great Pottery Throwdown. It launches in 2015. And today, it's one of the most popular shows on TV. I know. Every episode is watched by millions. And they're charting the losers the winner, uh, the psychodrama that's going on in, in the studio, the judgments, the artistry. Brad Pitt 
has allegedly never missed an episode. That's it. Okay. What is it like going from absolutely anonymous Potter, who, you know, you're the man behind the scenes. Yeah. And now you're the kind of person that, that yeah. the tabloids are interested in your no, life. steady. I hope not. Well, yeah, but well, no, I, I, mean, know, I know what you mean. If I was to put yeah. your name into Google, there'll yeah. be something that says, who is Keith Bremer? And who is he with? Yeah, and that, yeah. You know, that it's yeah, scrutiny, no, ex- exactly. isn't it? Exactly, yeah. I know it is. And it, it, it is quite strange. You know, life just takes you in really weird and wonderful places, ups and downs. But when I first started doing the Pottery Throwdown and my name was announced as one of the judges, there were quite a lot of people going, who the bloody hell's he? I've never heard of him. Oh, he must be some kind of businessman. And I'd been potting for 30 years, you know, throwing literally thousands of pots. And, you know, because I'd always been a hermit in my studio, no one had really ever heard of me. And... Obviously, I could do the thing. And I'm so fortunate that I'm with a partner who has done telly herself. Because mm. I think it can be a bit of a strain. I mean, I, you know, I have people coming up to me. It's bizarre. They'll come up to me and they'll see me in a train station and they'll know that Marge is with me and they, they'll go, oh, great. And they just do that and they just pass yeah. her the phone yeah. without saying a word. Yeah. To, and and uh, yeah. people coming up and saying, Oh, Marge, what's it like living in the background? To to Marge. At which point I just start laughing. But it is, it's incredible. It is incredible. But Marge is going to be coming very much out of the background because you're doing a new show with her. Yeah, yeah. So you've recently bought this old chapel. Yeah. This gargantuan old chapel in North Wales. Yeah. You're moving there imminently. I mean... I've seen pictures of it. It's a fixer-upper. <laughs> <laughs> What's the plan? So, so yeah, it's been deserted for, uh, it's been yeah uninhabited for 14 years. Mm. If only they'd clean the gutters. If only they'd clean the, yeah. there's water running on the inside of the building. We've just spent £20,000 on getting rid of pigeon poo in one of the ceilings. Half a foot of pigeon poo which probably make the first episode. Mm. And um, yeah, the building is going to throw up lots of surprises, but it's brilliant. What else am I going to do in my life, you know, at this particular moment? So and it's great. It's good, And it's going to have a studio. and uh... Yeah, it's going to have a huge studio. Um, we're going to live there. It's in a place called Pusheli. Pusheli, that's how you say it. Push meaning pond mm. and heli meaning salt in Welsh. And yeah, we can't wait to move. It's brilliant. Yeah. The one thing is that I've I have read your entire autobiography, which I enjoyed very, very much, but not once at any point did you mention liking DIY. Oh right, okay. So I am I'm <laughs> I'm slightly concerned. Didn't even hear of you changing a light bulb in three hundred pages. Oh no, I can so, fix a kiln. Can you? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm all right with kilns. No, I, I am actually practically, I am pretty okay. practical. But actually, what's wonderful about it is that structurally, we're not really changing much about the building at all. We're not putting any mezzanines in or, you know, jacuzzis. Or- yeah, you say that now, though. I've seen grand designs. <laughs> seen grand designs. Yeah. You're not going to rest until you're both living in a caravan outside it. Well, we've just, we're just about to uh, embark on buying a 20-foot container to sleep in. In the car park. She's such a lucky woman. I know, she's great. So, so lucky. I know. 
No, I'm, I'm a bit of a charmer like that. <laughs> the million dollar question. You're moving back to Wales. Yeah. Are you going to get back on the Welsh cakes? Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. I do like a Welsh cake. Yeah. Keith Brymer-Jones, you have been an absolute dream. Thank you so much for comfort eating with me. Brilliant. been a pleasure. This episode of Comfort Eating was produced by Gabriella Jones. The executive producer is Lucy Greenwell. The music was written by Axel Kakutier. Mixing and sound design was by Solomon King. If you like comfort eating, then please go and leave us a review. And you can follow or subscribe so you never miss an episode. See you next week. This is The Guardian. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.